Hi, I'm Marlon Walker, and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland, and today I have something special for you guys. I did an interview with my buddy, Kevin Madison of Dungeon Musings, and um, basically we talked um, the, the kind of uh, reason for the interview was specifically that um, he is doing a charity raffle, the Heroes Save Villages charity raffle, which I will link in the uh, the description of the the podcast um, episode, and um, yeah, it is a pretty cool thing. You can donate to charity and win some really neat gaming prizes, um, and so I wanted to to do uh, an interview about that, and just more generally, we we talked a fair bit about kind of gaming in general, some kind of other hobby stuff. Um, a little bit about kind of what we're we're running and playing and a little bit of kind of the the more theoretical side of um, gaming uh, at, in the middle um, but yeah it was a lot of fun and um, as usual the audio is not perfect um, my audio is a little quiet um, because well part of it is is Kevin's kind of a louder guy and I'm kind of a quieter guy and then also my OBS settings are still not um perfectly attuned I guess so um I need to tinker with that a little bit more get it just right but um yeah I really hope that you enjoy this um I really hope you know, um, obviously, this is kind of a, a trying economic time for a whole lot of people, and Heroes of Villages is not the only um, charity initiative that needs help. But um, if you have the opportunity and the the will to do so, I hope that this encourages you to donate to Heroes of Villages. You know, do some good in the world and all of that sort of stuff because that. Um, is always a, a positive thing. So, without further ado, let us get into the interview. Alright, hi everybody. I'm Arlen Walker, and I am uh, live from Pelham's Wasteland, and today I'm joined by my buddy Kevin Madison, who is Kevin Madison of the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, and podcast, and Twitter account, and... Um, do you do MeWe anymore at all, or is there, is there any uh, other? I'm still, yeah, I'm still on MeWe. I, I really, it's just a perfunctory thing. It's because I've yeah. got it set up that I, I post stuff there, but I don't really do much else on there. But he's all the things Dungeon Musings, right? That's, that's <laughs> yeah. his thing. Um, that's right, yeah. And um, does some really cool stuff, including does a really cool charity that we are going to talk about um, today, because that's kind of our um, impetus for for this interview is that Kevin is hosting a charity raffle um, where you can win a bunch of really cool gaming prizes. The big prize is the um, Beetle and Grimm's gold edition box of the Eberron Rising from the Last War thing that we actually played a um, one shot of 5e and Eberron and it was a, a blast, super fun, um, great product if you can win it although there are a number of other people who want to win it too apparently so <laughs> yes um and then there's copies of the second edition astonishing swordsman sorcerers of hyperborea core rule book um which you can't get anymore from northwind publishing so it's something special 
and um, there's the Skittermander dice bag. There's Dave's dice bag. There's some zines from Hobbs. There's the monsters know what they're doing. There's I'm trying to remember if there's anything else big that I've uh, gotten. T-shirts from and uh, posters and some other stuff from the Dungeon Musings uh, Redbubble shop. Yeah, so Kevin does Kevin does uh, a ton of art. Um, has done a bunch of art for our campaigns, and um, one of the things you can win is um, T-shirts or posters or things like that from the Red Bubble store. So that gets you um, chances to win cool prizes through the um, the SOS Children's Villages Heroes Save Villages Charity Initiative Charity Raffle mm-hmm. that uh, we do um, as a, a thing. So, um, since this is at least supposed to be an interview and not just me talking, um, <laughs> I think it's payback for all my really long outros. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, so, uh, how about let's start, um, well, okay, what can you tell us about SOS Children's Villages, the, the charity that is benefited by the raffle? Um, just generally, you know, what do they do? Who do they help? And um, kind of why that charity? Because obviously there are a lot of charities that need our help. And yeah. why that one? Um, so SOS Children's Villages International uh, is an organization active in about a little over 130 countries. Um, and it benefits over 80,000 orphaned and abandoned children from around the world. And what their main, uh, they do some um, uh, some advocacy work as well too, but primarily what they're, their work is is on the ground uh, work where they hire and train young women to act as surrogate mothers for kids in these villages they build. They build villages that provide a state like a safe and stable environment for kids in order to, to actually grow up in. And um, yeah, and I mean it just it's a, it's an organization I've been aware of and loosely associated with since around. Uh, 2004 ish. Um, and the, uh, and originally I got involved with them when between, um, uh, grad school and law school, I was uh, working on some gaming products and I really wanted to have, I was not uh, really, I was not really aware of just how little money, uh, that something like that might actually generate. But what my optimistic goal was, was to see some of the money from those products be donated to, uh, uh, towards this, um, something that was, you know, something more meaningful than just, um, I don't know, like raising awareness or things like that. And that's not to say that anything raising awareness is not important, but I I really wanted to try and put my money where my mouth was, as it were. Uh, my grad degree was in, um, political science. Uh, so I, uh, my, then my focus was sub-Saharan Africa and I just, I kind of wanted to find a way to be able to, to do something, um, a little more substantive. And when I looked into the different organizations that, uh, that might be a good fit for like a gaming kind of activity. Uh, cause at the time I think uh, penny arcade already had their, uh, child's play thing, but I, I wanted to see something a little more international focused, uh, just cause that's where my, my mind was at that time. And, um, not only did I really like the goal of, uh, SOS children's villages international, it also has, had and continues to have a really high uh, score on the sort of like um, the advocacy index. I can't remember the name of the the index right now, but it's basically it it is a way of measuring how effective that the organization is in achieving its goals, how much money that is donated. You know, one of those things is is 
make sure there's no corruption involved in the in the organization, and also to see um, how much of the uh, you know, how many cents of every dollar actually make it to the, the intended recipients. And it has a very high score for that as well. So it just seemed like a really good fit. And then, um, I, I went to law school and kind of, uh, you know, my plans for, for making gaming products kind of fell by the wayside. And then, uh, recently when I was thinking about doing, uh, something with the YouTube channel, with the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, uh, I thought of the, um, of doing a charity thing and it, my mind went right back to them again. And it, it turned out that it was very easy to set up a, you know, they're, they're very supportive of creative kind of fundraising uh, exercises or, or uh, endeavors. And I was able to set up our, you know, uh, originally it was a charity raffle. And then I started implementing some other stuff as well too, like charity games, which you have generously donated to for two years in a row. Uh, and uh, it's been, yeah, I mean, it's been to date we've raised a little over, Five thousand uh, dollars for the the kids who uh, who benefit from it, which is is, I mean, terrific. Uh, given we're you know it's, we're not exactly critical role, but you know it, it's it, it's a very very we're fortunate to have a very uh, generous um, community uh, that has been very uh, supportive of those charity you know fundraising initiatives, both in uh, players and in the uh, audience as well too. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. Um... So that kind of gets into my next question, which is, um, was this, uh, so Heroes Save Villages as a part of the kind of larger Dungeon Musings community, the, the YouTube channel and all of the, that sort of stuff, was that always a, um, like a goal? Was that an idea that you had uh, from the beginning? Or was that a like, you know, hey, well, this is kind of a cool thing that we could we could do to to support a good cause um it's sort of a lot of the um the plans i like uh that um i've had with the channel have been stuff that just um i'm not you know there there are some people who um you know like my in my day job i'm a lawyer and there are some people who knew they wanted to be a lawyer when they were 12 you know and i'm not one of those people <laughs> i uh I figured out that it was the right thing for me as soon as I, it sort of dawned on me and it felt like, oh, this is the, this is what I should be doing. Well, I'll do this, you know, and there's many other aspects of my life where it just, I'm uh, open to when something presents itself to say, all right, yeah, this is obviously what I should be doing, but I'm not really one for really long-term plans. I'm much more going by my gut. Uh, and for this one, the reason we went back to fundraising again was, was actually because of another product and um there was another product i got that it turned out one of the and i had been running on the channel quite a bit and uh i really did like the product quite a bit and then it turned out that there was a really kind of unfortunate backstory behind the creator of that product and um it really annoyed me that the this particular um uh, creator was really ad uh, adamant about trying to hide their otherwise political or you know mor moralistic sort of leanings um, and to try and keep their company separate from that. And, uh, particularly when it was a detrimental thing, like it wasn't going to be something that was helping him, th this particular person knew that it would be, um, and I, I'm ascribing, uh, motives here, but I mean, I can't imagine why there wouldn't be the knowledge that it would have detrimentally affect the business to, yeah. to hide that stuff. Right. So it just, what I sort of went from is like, all right, well, if this person does not want to make this political, I will. And every time I run this game, I'm going to make a donation 
to this particular charity. And if other people want to support the charity, that's great. So spite, you know, as all good <laughs> things come from, it was driven by, you know what, fuck you. And then I, I ended up just deciding not to give any more airtime to that particular thing. But then it got me thinking about what other things I could do. And it's it's very much is it has been, um, you know, as we've gone on a work in progress of figuring out what, uh, you know, what ways we can try and what things people might want to, you know, uh, would incentivize uh, the donations without making it the core focus of the channel either, right? Like, I don't want it to be, it is a uh, a way for us to try and raise some money for a charity without the, it becoming the sole focus of the, uh, you know, of uh, the channel. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, and I, I think it's done a really good job. I mean, like you said, $5,000 over, what has it been? A little over two years. Not even, I don't think. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like a year and change, yeah. A year and change. But yeah, it's been good. And it and it really doesn't I, I think that's one of the things that's one of the things that really appealed to me um back when I was a viewer and appeals to me as a player now, um, on your channel is that it is not um not performative for tips to to put it bluntly that it, it's not yeah. like you know we're we're all doing this to try to get you to you know subscribe or donate or something it, it's a game played among friends that happens to be streamed um and has this good cause associated with it but ultimately the the channel is games played by friends and it's it's online yeah. It's it's yeah. it's a very fly in the wall experience. I feel like, and that's really refreshing compared to some of the other. Uh, not not to name names, but but there are other <laughs> shows that I don't watch anymore because of their different um, approach to that. No, and I think that like the the big the you know big granddaddy of all these is of all the popular streaming right now is Critical Role, and I uh, I think. Uh, I don't watch it a lot because I, I just don't. I have so much gaming stuff in my life that I try not to have other gaming things in. Like I, I already read so many games and run so many games that when I'm listening, when I'm consuming other content, it's going to be something else. So I've got yeah. diversity yeah. in my life. But the stuff I have watched, it that genuinely feels like the same thing too. There's a lot more production value and there's a lot more things. They are running it consciously like a business and whatnot. But at the end of the day, I get the sense they would all be playing together if there were no cameras, if there were no nothing. Um, the imitators of them, I think that's, that's very true that it does come across as a different thing. And, um, and there's an intentionality of trying to build communities and stuff like that, that I try to avoid with our channel. And I don't, I don't mean that to mean a criticism of other people. Anyone can do whatever the fuck they want. And if they get, you know, the, um, if they get support for it and other people enjoy this stuff, that's terrific. It's just definitely not what I want to do with, uh, what I was never interested in doing with, with our channel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it, it's great to have a, a particular focus, a particular idea. Um, so let's get mm. into, because you mentioned running lots of games. Uh, let's talk about the state of the games on the channel. Uh, yeah. What you have been playing and running and what's coming up that uh, people ought to be aware of. Because I know there are some charity sessions on the horizon yeah. that people might be interested in. So where we are right now is you know, uh, five months into the, at the time of recording, about five months into the pandemic. So we're, um, you know, uh, w what we did at the start of the pandemic was uh, we rejigged the, a lot of the games that we were running um, on the weekends, particularly. 
And shortly before that too, we had also uh, shifted the specific games we were running during the week. The way things used to be is we would often uh, run the same game uh, every Friday. I think it was every Friday we did the same game. And then Wednesdays we would alternate between different games. And then Saturday we alternated different games, different weekends. And Sundays we alternated different games, different weekends too. And that was a lot of fun. And it was a good opportunity to get a lot of games to the table and try a lot of things. Um, but what we uh, shortly before I made a shift to to try running just one game on Wednesdays and Fridays. And then um, when the pandemic started, I shifted the Saturday, alternate Saturday and all the Sunday games to be just another campaign, uh, partly to for my own you know sanity uh, and also for a way of getting more people to the table because I didn't know how many people were going to be off work and I didn't know how many people were going to you know be losing their um, in-person games. Uh, and what we're so what we're currently running is some of those. One of them is the pandemic campaign that is uh, AD&D Second Edition run with or running the 2013 adventure Legacy of the Crystal Shard, and that one's about 28 sessions in right now. Um, and uh, the characters have reached, I think, fifth level at the most in that one. So you know we're like we're getting some good, um, and a lot of the the adventure has has uh, gone. You know we've gone through a lot of it. And then our Wednesday Friday sessions are ADD Second Edition running the Night Below campaign, and that one we are sixty. Come tomorrow will be sixty-two sessions, I think, for it. So like it's that has a lot of legs under it. We've all spent one hundred and eighty hours, give or take, uh, together <laughs> in the Herringshire, and that's been a really fun one. And um, that uh, that both of those games has a rotating cast too. So we've got whoever's available on whatever days they're welcome to come and play, and then we just sort of go with whoever shows up um, on Saturdays, uh, alternate Saturdays. We also run an ongoing astonishing swordsman and sorcerers of Hyperborea campaign. Uh, that is up to about 30 something sessions right now too. Although it's we've, the last two sessions have been like dramatic changes too. So it's been, it feels like it's been, you know, uh, longer than even than it has been with that one. Cause we suddenly had really crazy changes, but that one has a fixed cast and, um, uh, I mean, it works down people sometimes just because of real life stuff, but uh, that one has a fixed cast. And then I think that's it right now for for regular games. And then I've also lately, now that we're getting uh, later in the year, uh, every year I have those charity sessions. So uh, we ran yours uh, two weeks ago, uh, two weeks, three weeks ago, maybe, maybe longer. Time has no meaning anymore. So a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And that was a uh, one shot running. Um, Pinnacle uh, Entertainment's uh, Savage Worlds uh, RPG set in a first century kind of Roman weird fiction mystery kind of thing with uh, and that one was was a lot of fun. Then we had our Eberron one shot using fifth edition, which is the first time I went back to fifth edition in about four or five years, I think, give or take. Except apart from that very short uh, World of Warcraft in, inspired uh, game we were running. Um, uh, and then let's see here. This coming weekend, we've got uh modifius's conan a adventures in an age undreamed of which is gonna be a lot of fun uh and then we've got i think four more charity sessions after that uh which are gonna be there's an uh add second edition one set in dark sun uh there is a pathfinder second edition one that is set, uh involves the characters playing uh lizard men uh but that might be changed for vason uh for the new um, Scandinavian horror game uh, published by uh, uh, Freya Lagan. 
Um, there's a Star Wars game, but it's undetermined as to when that's going to, or where the system that's going to be. And then I'm going to play in something too. I'm going to play in a session of Microscope as well too with one of our donors. So those are the charity games. And then I've also got, uh, in October, I'd like to do a uh, Monster Hunter uh, theme. So I want to do some uh, one-shots using games that feature characters hunting monsters. So Vason was one of the ideas I had for that. Uh, the Witcher RPG, which I was actually reading just before we went, and it's pr looks pretty fucking fun. Um, the gosh, uh, so the uh, Vason obviously from Free Lagan. Uh, Witcher is from Artel Sorian, and it's this neat adaptation that's sort of a midway point between the novels and the video games, and now the TV series as well too. Um, what were the other monster ones? Uh, Delta Green uh, and Call of Cthulhu, uh, I think as well. Um, then, oh, and I think there was something else as well that I'm forgetting, but I don't remember what it is. Uh, but I've also got on on deck um, The Expanse uh, as well. I really want to run that. Uh, I have in the past, before the pandemic, was running a uh, age uh, system, a modern age game uh, that was pretty fun, but it wasn't, the, the system wasn't quite, uh, uh, I wasn't quite grokking it. And I, I like the uh, the Expanse is just a unified vision with without so many quite so many options and stuff. So it's a little more streamlined and it's a very, it's a very, very neat uh, looking game. And there's one other one I was thinking of too. I'd like to get back to Genesis at some point before the end of the year as well. Cause that was a lot of fun at the gaming marathon. Um, uh, so I don't know. Some talk of city of mist. Oh yes. And city of mist as well too. Yes. Uh, so city of mist as well, which is, published by son of oak studios and uh i love that uh the one time we've run that game i have adored it and it's one of the few games that i've devoured cover to cover uh in the last like five years or so that one um gosh there's been actually there's been a couple of really really good games that have come out in the last little while the genesis was really i had a hard time putting that one down um but yeah city of mist what might have been one of the ones for the monster hunter or might have just been something i wanted to run oh and i've got a weird <laughs> i got a weird idea for a Shadowrun third edition uh, hack uh, set in the 30s with the, the guys playing Magical Detectives. The way that the uh, kind of um, metaphysical world is set up in in Shadowrun is a I, I really really love it, and I've always I've loved it since the first edition. Third edition is the, the one that really I, my favorite edition of the game, and I think it, I've thought for years it would be really cool to use that the rule set stripped out of the cyber tech and the uh, hacking and you know, decking and, and the rigging and all that stuff, take all the cyberware out and just use magic and the contact rules and you could have, and the combat rules and you could have a really, really cool noir influenced game. So, so that's it. I mean, like, <laughs> thank God I've got five just, months just left that. to get it all done. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but that's great. That's obviously uh, a ton of, a ton of stuff going on and a ton of potential stuff to, to move into. Mm -hmm. um and then of course you didn't mention but every once in a while your buddy arlen walker runs games for the channel too and uh, very true to play um that is true <laughs> and uh we I, I i have no idea when we're gonna get the next one to happen but um at some point of course we'll do probably not more true dvang because i feel like i've i've sort of done my my piece with that and kind of given it to you guys <laughs> and if you guys want to do something with it now that's fine but um I've sort of shown it to you and all that, but you know, we did because we did the one ring and we did that um Bale Pendragon session and mm. Trudvang and I'm trying to remember if there were any 
don't think there was there was that one ash session that you were able to make that was a lot of fun that was just the the sort of dungeon yes. crawl. um yep um, it's you know what like with yeah so with the ongoing games like it's um the thing that i am that you know over the last uh gosh coming up on a year with by december which is you know, right around the corner will have been a year playing uh night below Yep. Which is, you know, that's a long time with AD&D. The thing I've been thinking of lately uh, has been the benefit of iterative play. Uh, because in the same way that like when you, I don't like a lot, I don't like board games or card games or things like that that take too long to get through a, a, a game because I don't get a chance to learn the game by going through cycles of it. Um, I have played one round of Civilization in my life and I'll never open that fucking game up again because it... Uh, bored me to tears and it took for fucking ever to get to the end of the game and i played one game of uh twilight imperium and that's nine hours of my life i'll never get back and i don't really feel like i learned an awful lot about the game in the course of going through that so yeah um if you don't get a chance to go through the game and see it playing you know over and over and over again i i just i don't like um uh i i feel like i i prefer the things i learn from seeing the the you know what emerges from from long-term play with those games um, which makes it difficult for, you know, uh, for trying to get like, well, it's great running stuff for one shots and I'm enjoying prepping and running some of these things, but some of these games we've run in the last little while, I really would love to see what, you know, see what emerges from the course of, of long-term play with these things and not just go with, um, you know, like the, um, the, the sort of, uh, what, what do you call it? Like the accepted wisdom or whatever, uh, that some people have with certain games, right? Like, the the um, accepted wisdom on fifth edition I've heard is that it breaks down at high level play, but I can't think of another version of D and D that doesn't do that, and I can't think of a, a version of D and D that manages the amount of stuff that a particular casters are going to do at high level. So it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I yeah, I I get where people are coming from, but I really would prefer to see for myself because I yeah. wonder how much of that is theory crafting and how much of that is actual rubber meets the road seeing it develop over time right absolutely well and and in many ways it's a really good problem to have right the the whole discussion online about the um the sort of golden age of rpgs being in a lot of ways right now because there's there's so many good games getting published there's so much oh, yeah. cool stuff available to run um no one even somebody running four games a week doesn't have time to <laughs> yeah. to run everything so no it's crazy like there's so many games you know the difficult i mean the benefit is you get you get to really be selective about like well here's the this is the small thing that is my issue with this particular game so this is why i'm not gonna feature this you know um but uh yeah it does it does mean there's an awful lot of games that are great great games that i just will never find time for or never make time i suppose uh for yeah yeah but that's, that's the, <laughs> such as yeah. of course yep. so yeah <laughs> um all right so let's move into um do you have next question is do you have any tips for gms about running so many games a week, how do you manage four games a week? Because I don't know anybody else who runs quite that much. Um, so uh, selection of... I was thinking about this because I uh, Arlen was kind enough to circulate the questions beforehand so I, I could give some time to think about it. And I didn't want to think about too, too much to have like a canned answer. But I think that the two, like, two main things that have made it possible are uh, selection of game and selection of players. You know, um, 
I am very, very, very fortunate to have uh, a terrific group of players that we play with on our on our roster of players. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with the the channel, um, the way that we we have basically a a roster of players that we draw our games from, and I always would like to try to expand that uh, as I mean I, I don't like leaving people out of games uh, for one thing, but um, running games as often as I do and for as long as I do as well too with the, with the length that we have for the campaigns and such, it just, you know, um, it, uh, when you've got a fit that is working, I'd sooner not have that. There's always going to be problems that come from, from streaming and from organizing games and running games and whatnot. And if one of the problems I don't have is hurting the cats to get players to the table or to make sure we've got people at the table, then that's just, you know, that is a, a huge thing. So having people that you have the opportunity to play with. And this is something that, you know, is, is as much good luck and probably more good luck than it is good management. Um, the, so that's one thing is, is having that group of players. And part of the commitment for that is keeping your dates, you know, like you and I uh, have talked about this offline before too, but what um, the promise I make to my players is that if we've got a date set for gaming and we have, you know, we're there for it, we're playing something. Um, we're not going to be wasting the time. We're not going to be, uh, you know, like, oh, we don't have enough players. So we'll, we'll call it a night. No, no, no. We'll, we'll start running. Uh, you know, we'll continue running something. Uh, it'll be a one shot or, you know, we might try creating characters or something that we've been interested in, in hacking around with. And, uh, that, that's a carryover from my in-person experience. Like what I learned was when you set a date for gaming and you keep that date for gaming, regardless of whatever it is, people start organizing their, uh, you know, the rest of their life around that stuff. If they really want to be making time for gaming and they want to be gaming, they're going to figure out that's my commitment for that date. So that's one thing as well, too, is keeping the, you know, keeping the uh, commitment. Uh, and that, that goes uh, to the audience as well, too, right? Like when, uh, if the audience is, is um, expecting to have something that's going to be there on Wednesdays at, you know, nine, eight o'clock on uh, central, we, we better be there, you know, because they, that's what uh, they were hoping to be part of. And, and that's part of the, the regular ongoing, you know, kind of not comic booky, but like that sort of, um, you know, persisting narrative uh, element of, uh, of gaming. Um, and then for selection of game, it's just, it's finding something that is going to fit for how you're structuring your players. You know, like a lot of, um, a lot of the other, one of the ways that our uh, games, particularly over the last, like, nine months or so differ from a lot of other streamed ones is the uh, oracular nature uh, and kind of the emergent story, you know, nature of our sandbox games. The Legacy of the Crystal Shard game is a little more structured. Uh, and, but, you know, I mean, and there are stories that are running through for each of the individual characters in, uh, in our night below, or some of the characters, I should say. But the primary focus is on plot as opposed to on you know, individual character examinations. And that allows us to always carry on with that, regardless of whoever's there. Because, you know, we're, we're not, I, I love leaving on a cliffhanger or leaving on some kind of twist and whatnot. And when we've left something with a focus on one character and then that player of that character uh, or the, the, yeah, the player of that character isn't able to make the next one, it can really disrupt the narrative uh, and disrupt the flow of things. So, you know, um, I, uh, our night below campaign, I don't see a point where that's going to end anytime soon. Uh, but I, the legacy of the crystal shard, we're actually, it's time. Like I, I can start thinking of when that campaign will be done. So I've been starting to think about what I might run in replacement. And 
yeah, you know, thinking of some of the other long, like on long-term campaigns uh, that are available, that are printed, like in particular for something different, like um, Pirates of Drinax in uh, for Traveler, uh, second edition from Mongoose, or uh, say one of the the Call of Cthulhu on like long-term campaigns, right? Like um, uh, Masks of Nyarlathotep or uh, Horror in the Orient Express. Uh, I'm not sure you can run those kind of games uh, quite the same way that we do with ours. Like we do have a lot of continuity with the players. We have about five or six players who are almost always there for, uh, well, probably about four, three or four players who are always there for the night below. And then there's some other ones that sort of alternate out. And uh, that makes it challenging, especially when you, you know, uh, you go from one week to another week. If you were running something that was more where the game required you uh, to prepare a lot of stuff more carefully beforehand, particularly a lot of stats and stuff like that, you know, uh, or was really heavily involved in in uh, balanced encounters and such, that would be an absolute nightmare to run. Uh, so, whereas what we use AD&D Second Edition, it's something I can kind of make up on the fly. You know, I can throw open the rule books. I don't think I've ever copied down anything from the rule books yet uh, for the monster manuals. I just run them right out of the monster manual, and we just keep on going. You know, and um it allows us to focus much more on just the actual preparing myself for what the players are going to come up with. So um, selection of game, the things that you need to bear in mind, if you do want to be like up in your, your ante is selection of game because that, and selection of players, because that will tell you how much, um, how much preparation you're going to need to do uh, for it. And when you're going to need to do that preparation, you know, uh, I, uh, when we're at, uh, points where we're transitioning from one thing to another thing, that's often when I need to do the most work, but that's really to get things moving. And then I know sort of the material that we're going to work through in general. And the players will take me off the beaten track as well, too. If you let the players drive as well to drive the, the boat uh, and you're willing to just, you know, realize that you're not going to have everything prepared. You're going to have to make stuff up as you go. That's one of the ways to do it. If, if I was trying to run uh, prepared, modules for a rotating group of players, you know, and, or even like multiple games uh, throughout the, the week, that would be a lot more challenging to, to keep on top of and would suck out either. What would happen is it would suck a lot more preparation time out of my week or the play would suffer because I would not be prepared adequately and I wouldn't know the rules adequately. So, so that's the thing. I mean, I think that the, um, um, a game like AD and D second, where there is, not only the benefit of seeing a story unfold over time by having so many sessions, also seeing players get meaningful, tangible uh, benefits as well, you know, um, and trusting. One thing I love about that particular system is that I can leave the XP system, uh, the XP rewards on autopilot. I don't need to think about the only time I've ever had to think about making sure the players got the specific rewards you needed was uh, because of my house rules for training. I know that I needed you guys to get a certain amount of money, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, that was the only time I really had to put my thumb on the scale. And otherwise I just sort of, we see what happens. What about you? So I know you don't, uh, you play in, in uh, pretty much all those games. So yeah. So I, I play in a bunch and I, um, so I, uh, well, there's been some, some real life stuff that has gone on recently um, that uh, a couple, maybe a month ago, I decided maybe a little more than that. I decided that I needed to run more games because I felt like that would help and that would be good for my kind of experience of the hobby. And then uh, one of those games has fallen through, um, but the other one is the uh, Sword and Scoundrel um, weekend game that we play alternate Saturdays. Um, and I have three players for that and they're all great. 
Um, we, for the first two sessions of that, we did just um, character creation and combat tests because the combat system is is um, pretty involved. Yep. Um, it's based on it's one of these games that's based on the Riddle of Steel, so it has this kind of <laughs> elaborate combat system that is is very cool in my opinion, but it is not. Um, and it, I, I think once you kind of rock it, it gets a lot more intuitive. But it does not start off easy to grasp the way that like everybody kind of instinctually understands. I think the idea of like roll high on this die and you get to do damage. That yeah. that's a much kind of easier path. Um, so I've been well, running think... running that alternate weekends, um, and that's been a lot of fun because we've finally gotten into real kind of campaign play. I've I've developed uh, originally it was for solo play, and then it has turned into a a group play thing this kind of um sword and planet campaign world that's very barsoomian that um mm -hmm. has basically it's basically an excuse to use um a whole bunch of stuff from a bunch of other games that i really like that is sort of generic enough to fit in so like i can use the the modifius's conan 2d20 has a really good sword and sorcery adventure generator and um i can use that in this setting easily enough because it kind of shares enough of those things and i can you know have the the sort of feral green men sometimes sometimes they're sort of conan-esque outsiders within civilization and sometimes they're sort of more pictish in the sense that they're the the ravaging hordes of barbarians and i can just sort of pull from all over the place so mm. um and that's been that's been really cool to finally get one of these because um, the first of these Riddle of Steel games that I ever had was Blade of the Iron Throne, which is a good game that is horribly laid out and um, has suffers in the presentation a lot. Um, but when I first read it, I realized that I kind of had something special um, in many ways because I think it, it hit some of the issues that I had had way back when I was like 12 years old playing my very first session of D&D, &D, that um, stuff that I didn't like about D&D &D that was in this game differently. So I, I have never liked armor class as a concept. It mm. feels um, very gamish to me, and it, it doesn't, to me, reflect the idea of a character who is kind of actively defending themselves is the big thing. Um, the idea that, like, like in um, my my go to example is in the the Lord of the Rings movies, um, Aragorn before Helm's Deep puts on a chainmail shirt because he's going into a very different situation, and I don't think that D and D in most of its forms models those kind of different versions of combat well enough to create that moment. Um, partly because no, but I mean, like that's that's not what the game is intended. But that's not either. what the game is about, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. And that and that is also going back to me because when I was twelve, what I wanted to play was the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> I, I still enough. very much want to play games <laughs> that are inspired by the sort of literature that I really love and the the films and the comics and mm. all that sort of stuff that I really like. That's a, a big thing for me. Um, Anyway, I've sort of gotten off track, but I, I am running a little bit of stuff. Uh, Jason Hobbs and I have been sort of talking back and forth about doing some one-on-one -on -one stuff. He's got uh, a system that he is uh, 
working on, wants to do some play testing, uh, has, has put together a couple of times some stuff with that. And then he's also talked with me. We've been sort of chatting back and forth about um, the idea of um, challenging characters beyond their kind of combat capacity. Mm-hmm. And and he's been really interested in in this idea because I sort of brought it up on his podcast and was sort of saying like you know I think I think there's a lot of really interesting things you can do that are closer to the way we would describe like a challenge to a character in a in a novel or in a film um, than often uh, it it is easy I think to get into the habit of um, well we'll have a bigger sword fight this time essentially and that's how yeah. we'll have more challenge. Um, so we've been talking a bit about that. Yeah. So here's something uh, I'll throw. This is because I was I watched um, yesterday the uh, at the time of recording they just had the first kind of play test for the Masters of the Universe RPG that uh, uh, that they're going to have and it watching it helped me help remind me some of the issues I had with with not issues with other games. It's just it's something that is just it is inevitably a consequence of certain levels of complexity mm-hmm. and uh it was so the game is based on the what's it called not cypher it's the cfi no it's not cfi it's the one that drives the um margaret weiss um uh what do you call marvel heroic and yeah the uh cortex Cortex, yeah, yeah, Cortex. And the thing is, is so I'm I'm watching them play, and there is a great deal of discussion with each role. Yep. And at first it's sort of interesting. And then it's that's level that's a level of conversation, level of detail you have to have on every single dice roll. And it gets to a point where people are just like, you know, they're they're like blah, 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 in the same way that like when you get hard when you get really into a, a card game, you stop referring to the cards and shit like that, and all you're really doing is referring to what they do. So it got very quickly down to just a dice pool mechanic. And then there were sort of half-assed describing it afterwards, but there's still that inevitable conversation of those two different dice rolls that are rolling. And it's not hugely, the consequence of each of those dice rolls is not substantial enough that it's pushing the narrative forward at all, uh, or at least not in a, in a dramatic uh, way. It's all incremental stuff. And it it's reminded me of a criticism I saw of the um, the Star Wars one. Where it's just like, you know, if you were the the thing with the the I, I guess one way of thinking about the tension between the story that's happening in the fiction and the mechanics is how long you are, how long you're willing to to tolerate being out of that fiction. Yep. You know, and I watched the the cortex thing and I'm like, nope, because like the I can the players aren't even keeping their head in the uh the system or the you know, the uh, fiction at certain points, because they're not really actively describing what's going on in the scene. They're just sort of putting together dice pools and they're half-assing that stuff as well too. And I mean, part of, in fairness, some of them aren't hardcore gamers, but like the, the level of interest at first and then was decreasing and that level of complexity for every single dice roll never goes down. Yep. It's always going to be that that level of like, la la la, and, and there's diminished returns when you're only putting together options of like, three different dice pools, but more often than not, it's going to be the same damn thing every time. I just, uh, and it reminds me of um, the uh, fa- fantasy fight, uh, Star Wars and, and whatnot too, where there's this extensive conversations that happen with every dice roll and it doesn't have the same, the way that some story games do, where the outcome of that conversation is a dramatically changed circumstance, right? Like something different and interesting has happens from that. 
Um, but you know, the way that, uh, and it does, and, and it happens, I guess it kind of goes to that iterative thing too. Like if your combats are going to last five rounds or six rounds and whatnot, um, the, and, but you're also going to have to pause that time to, to interrogate the, the, the mechanics, which happens in every game. Like every game, there's a degree of like, okay, can I do this? Or, you know, I'm going to do this yeah. or blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I feel like what my personal assessment right now is like, am I going to be justified in the amount of time I'm, you know, fucking around with the rules by the, the, a, the added texture that it goes, or is it just like, uh, like, uh, stuff that is not, it, it doesn't move along at a good clip. It, it, it is constantly sort of, especially for combat. Like, uh, if your combat system doesn't move along at a decent speed, um, and that's not to say that, and the reason you may think of it is the, the idea of there being texture in it. There needs to be that on certain things, but it can't be in everything. You know, there needs to be in parallel with that. If you, because otherwise, what you end up with is a system that only works in the hyper focused, but does not work in the larger scale, right? Because then you need to avail yourself of some other kind of abstract thing. And um, it's not, I'm not sure. I was looking at uh, the age system again recently, and I, they, they definitely have like different scales of, of interactions, but it's neat the way that they sort of unify all of those um, different scales of sort of interaction, uh, but also offer you interesting ways of things coming up, but it's not every dice roll. It's only when you're getting stunt points, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, that also, but again, like you're, for that one, you got to sacrifice certain other kind of levels of granularity, but. Well, and, and I think there's a lot of it, um, there's a, a measure of what you brought up with story games. There's a sort of methodology component that um, if you're going to have a lot of discussion about each dice roll, have a lot happen. A lot hinges, a lot should hinge on each dice roll, yeah. right? That that's And that's sort of, we, we played that one session of uh, Fantasy Flight Star Wars, and um, there was a lot that hinged on the, the sort of non-combat scenes, and then in combat it turned into what do you do with the advantage and disadvantage dice and all that sort of stuff and i think that yeah. was kind of a th that was the issue that i think you're describing where there's still all this granularity but and there's this need to talk about what each role means and all that sort of stuff but not enough is happening as a result of each die roll no because it and it, that one occupies it um when you're running it looser, it's it's a terrific. Those those dice are so much fun for everything other than the combat scenes, and the combat scenes seem so regimented um, that and that there's a lot of great ideas and great math that goes on in there too. But when, especially at lower levels, when the characters are only generating a hand, you know, like three or four, unless they're rolling a, a triumph, like a really great result or a really bad result, they're only really good. they only got a couple of things they can do with it. So more often than not, it seems to be like, well, I'll gain a strain back and I'll, I'll feed a blue to so-and-so, you know? And it's like, that. <laughs> that's not, that is not sexy. That is not really super interesting. Uh, and it's not dropping my jaw. And then it's great that if the, you know, when the triumph does happen, that is something really interesting, but how's that different from any crit effect in any other game? Yeah. You know, so. Well, and it also, so to, to go back to sword and scoundrel, one of the things mm -hmm. that I like about it in some ways is, um, it is it is currently in a what I think they call a playable beta, so it is totally not finished. Um, and there's something very liberating about that in the sense that because there isn't a lot of there's there's some really good GM advice for what you need, 
and then there's not a whole lot about all the stuff that you don't care about or don't necessarily want to deal with. And yeah. that has been really liberating because I can do like, okay, we're going to do one role for what you do this evening, right? We're going to have, and we can sort of spend some time talking about like, what is the specifics of what you want to do? Because it's going to occupy and a fairly significant portion of the, the, mm. the game. Or then um, we had a, a really good um, in, in the game, the characters are um, involved in some political machinations and there was a, an attempted assassination that went wrong. And mm. the, the target has called on the player characters to kind of figure out what's going on and to solve the problem, right? That's sort of the kicker. Um, and there was a great scene that involved a lot of um, a lot of discussion about die rolls, but a lot of good kind of um, I think good blending of the mechanics and the role playing um, with the investigation of the body because the the assassin's body was was recovered and they were. You know, somebody would say, like, well, I have a sort of background in, in medicine from being a mercenary. Can I, like, see what kind of wounds this guy has, what, what he got killed with, that sort of stuff? And I say, oh, yeah. So, you know, tap in your, um, your, your medicine skill to your, your main role to, to add that as part of your, your mm -hmm. investigation. And I, I feel like that has worked well. Um, but that's definitely a... Um, It wouldn't have worked for me as a GM in a number of other periods where I've been GMing, partly because I don't think I knew enough to tinker with the system in that way. Yeah. Right? It's neat running, like, um, the running so many different uh, old school games. Like, the, one of the reasons why I like it is, is because I get to steal from a whole ideas from a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. Right. It's very easy to, to adapt stuff for it. Same thing with, uh, I was uh, fucking around with uh, the age games uh, today as well. And that's the same thing too. Like I can, I can grab stuff from the expanse because they, the, in particular, the way that they, they do uh, damage and they model your hit points and stuff in that they, in, in the expanse is really, really interesting. And you can get a, a very, it's a cool idea and it's not replicated in either modern age or in um, uh, fantasy age. But or in Dragon Age for that matter, but it's a very easy thing to to you know swap that over and take it and, and apply that idea to somewhere else. Same thing with um, Vason uh, does not have. There's an idea with, from Aliens from uh, Freelagan as well. That is, I can't remember what, what they call it, but it's like in their cinematic mode, it gives you a chance to either get rerolls or get automatic successes or one of the two things. I can't remember what the thing is. It's a it's a meta, excuse me, narrative meta currency that only shows up in Aliens. It's not in Vason. It's not mentioned in Vason, uh, and it is in uh, what do you call it? Uh, Tales from the Loop. Uh, so it's it's another one of like, oh, because I'm running the same system and I'm reading a bunch of games in it, I can easily steal ideas from one of those things and drop it into another. You know, um, the two D twenty games from Modiphius are very much like that as well, and um, I I like that. Oh, and the uh, D one hundred games too. You know, I steal ideas back and forth for. Call of Cthulhu and Delta Green want to go between the two of them because they each of them has different ideas about certain things that I like better uh, than others. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think the that you do need to have a, the right group that's willing to, to do that because like there's certainly you and I both know people who uh, are not pleased when <laughs> you go out of the rule book. I mean, you're sometimes not I'm not pleased book. when you go out of the rule book. 
<laughs> but that that's a fairly minimal percentage of the time. So most of the time, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and there's certainly more. Uh, I mean, there, some of the games definitely. Uh, you know, I, I've I've mentioned this before. What you, you and I have, have talked about, this, I think, before as well. But I mentioned my podcast before about how um, the the reliance or the, the degree to which the players' uh, choices about their characters depend on running the rules as written. That's the thing I think is the the inviolate rule that will dictate whether it's okay to just change things without consulting with players, or whether you do need to make sure that, like, look, I'm how you know I'm making this house rule change and it will affect how you're creating your characters. So, you know, if um, momentum doesn't work the same way in Conan or tr Pathfinder is really the easiest one. Like Pathfinder is just, it is a very elaborate structure and blah, blah, blah. And, but I mean, like even that elaborate structure, you've got two different versions of the rogue, two different versions of the barbarian, two different versions of the summoner. The game itself already has options and, and iterations of it within the structure of it. Uh, so, you know, um, the, some people's reluctance to to change that uh, game is, uh, um, I don't know, uh, maybe it's a game that seems a lot more, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Viscous, I guess. Uh, it's, it's a lot thicker than what, you know, uh, games like D&D &D and like AD&D &D and, and uh, BX and stuff like that. There's such so little to the rules there. It's very easy. And so much as requires you to house roll. And so few of those rules bother to interfere with your, like if I change the way that I do a tax of opportunity in this game, it doesn't affect any of the character choices that anyone's made in our AD&D &D games, you know, because like no one's made a decision for their character how the experience plays out of the table, that'll be different, but it doesn't invalidate or alter decisions that characters made when they're making their characters. If I change the way a tax of opportunity work in Pathfinder, there's a lot of people who are going to be pissed, not a lot of people, but some people will be pissed off about that if they've made their decision to, to get like, say, combat experience, right? Or combat expertise, the feat that gives you a bunch of more, you know, a tax of opportunity. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, I, uh, I think that, I was reading Witcher uh, today, and one of the things that is really interesting about uh, The Witcher is that it's got this crazy crafting mechanic, which is probably not surprising because I, I I I didn't play The Witcher three that long, but I understand that's in the game as well too. It's also in the fiction that there's this idea that you you know create your stuff. But the neat thing is about it is that there's there's not just like one option for for things. There's certain components that you will use in game to make things, but there's a list of like 10 different places that every single one of those things can come from. So there's all, and you can buy them as well too, if you've got the money. So if you choose to make the game about like collecting certain things and, and some, um, some of those things you're collecting will be more potent and give you more, you know, ingredients and shit like that uh, than others. Uh, that's, you know, that becomes, uh, I can see that in one way being like, Oh, that's a really tedious bookkeeping nightmare but I also see it as really fun emergent play for characters who for players who really like doing that kind of nitty-gritty stuff you know um if the characters do want to be crafting their own you know uh, potions and all the other nonsense and whatever else they're going to make in it and the game keeps track of damage to items and weaponry and shit like that too so like you're um yeah, yeah, you can keep bringing your shield and sword and whatnot into our, and your armor into battle, but it gets damaged over time, and it's a very intuitive way of, of it getting damaged. So the crafting mechanic becomes a lot more useful uh, in in that particular game than it is in other ones, and that level of complexity driving decisions in play that stuff I like in the same way that like Wilderness Survival Guide, whereas um, 
I don't know, like other complexity that does not result in direct benefits in the, in the play experience. I, f I feel like, is this, do you need to, you know, the yeah. question is, do you need, do you need to have this? Is this something that is necessary to the experience or is it extraneous? Is this something that, you know, with, without this being part of your, uh, part of your system, does it affect the, you know, the, uh, the end result, the end experience of it? No, I actually agree. And I, I wonder how much um, some of the kind of general community issues with um, combat relative to other situations in games have to do with um, kind of what we're talking about, about tinkering and about um, altering the game to perfection for the group. Because combat so often is so much more um, heavily regimented and, and more heavily structured, seems like when people have problems with games, that is often where it happens versus with the looser stuff. They're much more willing to say, oh, we're just going to kind of interpret the rules in this way to, to play through it. And I wonder if that... Um, yeah, I don't... Um... Like, you know, uh, we're in prepping for this upcoming Conan game. It got me thinking about the experience with Conan last time I ran it and the experience with uh, Star Trek Adventures, uh, right? Star Trek Adventures ran so much looser and and uh, it felt like the game was, the game system was helping us, um, all, you know, hand in hand along with a story. Outcome from dice results and dice rolls and stuff like, shit like that would have effects on the fiction that would then drive how that fiction was going to go forward which was really interesting. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. Conan is a little bit of that pause, right? Where you're taking a moment to be like, okay, now I'm going to figure out, because and all you're focused on is the game mechanics. You know, you're calculating your momentum. You're seeing how many, you know, how you're going to spend that. Then you're rolling your dice and you're checking for effects and you're going to compare the effects to the qualities of your weapon. And then you're going to determine, you know, what, what happens. And it's just like, it's, um, it is not an untenable level of uh, crunch to the game because it it's part of what makes certain weapons differ from each other and whatnot. And it's it's a very clever experience, but I don't think it's it could be described as light on its feet, though. <laughs> you know, um, so there is going to be a way where the game is intruding in, and, and in any you know, as soon as you're having regimented combat rounds, the game's intruding on your fiction anyway. But you know, when it does intrude to that degree. You know, it's uh, that's something else I would, I would suggest too. Is the uh, you know, for people who are considering um, running more often too, is be mindful of how much time you know, you know how much of the real estate of the time of your session uh, is going to be taken up by certain game mechanics. That goes to the selection of rules too. But I mean, if I was you know when I was running uh, Pathfinder Second Edition, combats in that it was not unusual for them to be, especially more involved ones, more interesting ones, two hours at least. So, you know, if you're running a two hour session, um, that better be all you're okay with. You know, um, I know that when we were running uh, Pathfinder second, we would see intruding on this, the, the, you know, the session, us talking about, well, we've only got half an hour left. Do we have time to do a combat? And, you know, like that's the, the, the time required to go through that stuff is inescapable with complexity. Complexity requires more time, more consideration, more time for people to weigh those decisions and whatnot. But, you know, decide how much real estate you want taken up in your hours of uh, play throughout the week by that kind of, you know, that kind of uh, uh, content. Yeah. You know, like 
people criticized fourth edition D and D for being so unlike D and D, and I think that the one of the reasons is because if you did a pie chart of what time is spent doing combat, what time is spent doing you know the other parts of the game, the exploration, the the role playing. That pie chart is almost exclusively combat, not because of people are designing combat only uh, games, although that's what the majority of the combat rules or the the games rules were. It's that you needed that much time. Combat it would not be unusual for us to have six hour combats, even at uh, you know uh, mid to or low to or high mid range, like seven to uh, ten or eleven level. Easy six hours for really complicated combat, and of that. I mean, this is a different issue. This is not the the issue of how much time it's taking up. Um, but I mean, of that only about, you know, um, there's about an hour of that. That was pretty fucking tedious. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so um, so that's a consideration, I think, to bear in mind, too, is how much of your like, what, what is your time going to be spent doing? Yeah. In that game. So, uh, well, since this is supposed to be sort of interviewee, um, maybe <laughs> I should ask another question. Sure. Um, so what, what do you see as, uh, sort of general goals with the games you run and, and as a sort of related thing, um, what would be the perfect thing to hear from a player after a session beyond just like, it was awesome, right? What, what is really like, you know, this is exactly what I want from the experience. Yeah. Um, so th- for one, what, what's the goal? My goal is always that people have fun. You know, it's, it sounds, it's very simplistic and whatnot, but really that is my ultimate goal with any of these. I always want to make sure I say it all the time, but, and I mean, it sounds to the point where it sounds pap, but I mean like my primary goal is to make sure my players have fun. And, um, it just really, to, to my mind, it isn't more complex than that. Uh, that comes in a bunch of different ways because every player has different things that they want to get out of that. And, uh, I try to make sure uh, I can't, um, you know, like a lot of uh, modern rule books, they like talking about that, uh, like so-and-so is the, you know, the the rules lawyer and so-and-so is the role player and so-and-so is the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Nobody fits into any one of those categories. Like it's just, it's it's ridiculous to think of. But I know that what, what, um, what I try and do is uh, make sure that I give opportunities for every single character to have opportunities to participate in, in a scene. And, um, and make sure that all the players, cause some people are happy to be watching and some people want to be doing stuff all the time. You know, there's, uh, s- uh certain players who want to ha- be able to have their characters participate in everything. And in order for them to be engaged in the game, and there's others who are happy to watch cool stuff happen to other people's characters or see them do other cool stuff. You know, um, I'm fortunate that we play with all DMS for the most part. So people are used to sitting and watching other people do cool shit. So people understand the sort of like, oh, it's so-and-so spotlight time. So um, my goal is just that, is just to make sure I'm, I'm you know, I try to, um, the other thing I try and do is, is I try to be, um, I try to surprise and engage the players. Uh, so I do try and do things that either, um, that provide like not cheap, you know, JJ Abrams-esque twists and things like that. But I mean, like, provide satisfying like something that builds on something that you I know you guys have invested in that that then happens you know I try and uh, not subvert expectations for for the sake of things but try and keep it uh, something that you can interrogate even when we're doing like a D&D dungeon crawl or something like that I try and find ways that you guys can be thinking about things apart from just whatever is specifically happening in that one individual scene 
You know, um, that doesn't mean that I have everything planned out to the nth degree. It's just that I want to be able to engage the higher level of the play, the overall, you know, the writing for the season as opposed to writing for the the episode kind of stuff. So that's the stuff that I have a, a goal for for the sessions. And I mean, that that's uh, has degrees of success uh, depending on the uh, the date. Hold on. Okay. And I managed to grab her tail after looping it through my keyboards. Uh, <laughs> Thing so <laughs> fearful that the computer would come down on top of her because she's now grabbing her tail and pulling it. Um, in terms of what the players, um, you know, it's uh, there's something the, the response that you guys had to our Eberron session, uh, was really terrific. And it, anything that where I get, and I can't say what the specific thing is, but any feedback where it gets me thinking about like that was really good, let's try and figure out why that made that good, you know, like the that. Um, I think the last two, because we've been playing so much emergent, uh, stuff for the last little while, uh, the response I got from you guys for, for, to a degree from the Savage World session and, and particularly from the Eberron one felt, um, uh, because they were both much more heavily structured sessions. They were, I had, you know, an idea of what was happening in it beginning to end, even though there was flexibility for the players and whatnot. And the feedback that I got from that was, um, you know, where just it felt like a good session uh, is a lot of what the feed, the feedback was. It was trying to figure out why that you know why that was such an exceptional session. Um, we're again like we're fortunate to play with some really great great players, right? So we we do get more than our share of really good sessions. But that kind of thing where it gives me an idea of like, okay, what worked about that? And similarly too, I got uh, some great feedback from uh, one of our players in one of the first big, you know. Um, uh, set piece fights that we had in Astonishing Swordsman and Source of Hyperborea, where they're like, wow, that's just, I had not experienced something like that before. That was fucking great, right? Mm -hmm. um, I have since been using that thing too much because <laughs> I love being having big fights in, in AD&D. <laughs> but the thing is, is that, you know, you can't um, in certain... I mean, I don't know, but the thing is that the answer to the question, that's what I try and look for is when, I, when we've had something that's been a good um, where the response of the players has been just positive about what the they experienced, that gives me the, the food for thought of like, okay, why did that work really well? You know, let's let's think about that. The same same reason why I walked away from um, City of Mist, like Jeff. I know it wasn't for all of the players, uh, you know, uh, to the taste, but Jeff was so happy playing that game. It really got me thinking about, okay, what is it about that? What's about that play experience that really helped give him the stuff and um, Jeff, I think is one of those players who really plays to role play. He'll play for a whole bunch of other reasons too. And he'll happily jump in and, and, you know, do combat and whatever else too. But if he gets just to play weird characters, interacting with other stuff, I was watching our today, uh, had playing in the background, our, uh, our pulp, um, Cthulhu one shot. Everybody had so much fun in that thing, you know, and it's just a bunch of people. It was you guys interacting with a bunch of like weirdo NPCs that I was doing silly voices for yep. and just seeing how engaged everyone was and how, you know, how much everyone was enjoying that. It can't be everything all the time. That's another one of those sessions where I'm like, all right, well, what is it about this? Was it the game? Was it the structure of the thing? Was it the novelty of the, of the encounter? Any of those things, it's, it's not even uh, like that players are necessarily saying something. It's, it's seeing the responses from the players, uh, you know, to especially the positive stuff, you know, I'd rather stick to the positives for now. Uh, and when you're getting those positive responses is anything that gives me, and I gives me food for thought of what is it about this experience that made this so, 
um, so positive. It's what honestly what led me to select uh, Legacy of the Crystal Shard for our quarantine games because I saw how much we were having regularly, um, and we still do for the most part. We regularly have like between six and eight players showing up to play Night Below. You know, sixty sessions in mm -hmm. that tells me that there's there's something about that that is bringing the players back. Uh, so I need to figure out what you know what what is it about that that was beneficial and then also try and not just do the same thing that's why legacy of the crystal shard has much more of a story focus as opposed to just replicating the same damn thing right yeah so that's a long answer i'm, I'm hopeful that that answered your question but no i think that's good that's that that is very much uh what i was interested in um so let's talk uh just a little bit some uh, they don't have to be favorites forever, but kind of favorites for right now. What are what are some games that you know if you just had to off the top of your head? What's on your mind right now? Uh, so games that are on my mind. I'll go. I'll give a quick. I'll try to do this like one sentence about why mm -hmm. uh, stuff here. So things that have been rotating around on my uh, on my nightstand over the last like say two three weeks. D and D fifth, just because we ran it uh, recently, because it was such a good. Uh, it was such a good experience, you know, the, the game, it, the, okay, I'm, I'm breaking my rules already. Yeah. That one, because it's, um, the, the tactical, we had a really good tactical encounter, but we had really, really good role playing stuff as well too. The characters had cool powers. Uh, the characters were fourth level. So you had some neat things about your characters and whatnot. It just felt like it was very light on its feet for that whole time. You know, the, the combat encounter had the, the, it had the, tactical crunch that i like about boss encounters in fourth edition fourth edition did did boss encounters and set piece encounters better than any other version of DD that i've ever run including pathfinder second i i think it's just it's so neat um i'd never run it again because i don't want to spend eight hours doing combats but that really felt to me like incorporate running it the way we did was really good uh the players had fun not only role-playing stuff but also good opportunities so good um what do you call it uh Good tactical decisions, but not so much that they were crunching. It felt like you guys were making decisions about meaningful things you were doing as opposed to ways you were going to tweak the math to, to get a more optimal result. So that, and that's really interesting that, uh, so because, and it was relatively easy to put the game together uh, as well too. So I just, I was reading a lot of stuff about that and it ran uh, fifth edition. The last time I ran it was with the, in a traditional fantasy setting and I didn't really enjoy that as much. And then I, um, but for Eberron and a, a recent, uh, well, last year I ran a short campaign of, uh, using what do you call Guildmasters of Ravnica or great Guildmasters guide to Ravnica, uh, the magic setting, F super cool. So, so that's been only because of that, just, it's a really good, uh, I, I, uh, you know, it's not, uh, earth shattering news to say the world's most popular role-playing game is something I think is pretty neat. Right. Um, so that was on there too. Um, Pathfinder first edition, honestly, was there as well too, uh, recently because I was, um, thinking about something that in, in connection with fifth edition, uh, a, something that had a little more crunch to it, but so closer to what our AD&D second edition type experience was. The thing that's fun about second edition, uh, that I like is having those systems in place that sort of, we just let them run on autopilot and Pathfinder first edition is supposed to be like that as well. Um, I'm. The, I always, uh, 
you know, the, the instinct I have whenever I'm running third edition 3.5 or Pathfinder is to follow the rules as written. So I like, you know, I'm going to go to there. I'm going to do my budget for how much gold you're getting and whatnot too. And I'm trying to forcibly make myself think outside of that regimented box. Uh, because if I just took the core mechanics of the game and the diversity of characters, like the kind of characters you can make in Pathfinder one is fucking bonkers, right? Like there's something ridiculous, like 30 or 35 classes you can choose from. And there's archetypes for every single one of them. And, you know, so it's, it's, you can really make a huge variety of different interesting things. And then if you also open yourself up to other sort of uh, optional rules and things like that and ignore the, you know, well, this is a $50,000 or 50,000 gold piece item. So you shouldn't have it right now, but our AD&D seconded game has already showed like, who cares? Fine. The character's got a staff that summons earth elementals right now. It's a creature you guys could not defeat on your own, but boy, is it cool having the ability to summon one, right? Like, and, and that sort of like rule of cool thing that I think could make for um, an interesting, uh, an interesting ga ongoing game as well. Um, so that's, I mean, those two are just big games. Uh, Vason, I've been reading uh, quite a bit lately as well, too, because I um, I just, I think that it's a really, I've not run any of the Freeligon uh, Mutant Zero or whatever it is system, the D6 uh, mechanic they have for their games. I like the setting. I like this, the concepts for it. And I love horror. I love uh, gothic horror stuff. So it, it all sort of fits really well. Um, I actually was reading Alien as well, uh, the, their game, because I don't think it's something I want to run necessarily. Um, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Um, expanse is definitely, uh, something I've been really, really interested by because I've had good experiences with the age system in the past. I didn't have a great experience with our recent one, but I think it's, uh, it was, um, poor communication of expectation. My idealized version of how that game plays is like a slightly better structured version of fantasy flight star wars where like the 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 funky little thing that you do within the dice mechanic where you get stunt points and whatnot that drives creativity and drives really interesting decisions in, in gameplay as opposed to um what we found which was like they'd roll and then they'd look at their pull the charts out and they oh this is my handgun one i'll look through and i'll make my decision of what i want to spend my my, my stunt points on it just it slowed the game so much and um i think expanse because they've streamlined some of the stunt options and whatnot and they've got a couple other neat ideas in it it could make for a really fun cinematic um what do you call it uh uh hard, hard science fiction uh game so that's pretty cool uh, City Mist I've been looking at lately because there was a new uh, supplement that came out for it that expanded out a bunch of new ideas. So it just reminded me again, like, oh, I got to think about running that game. Witcher, I finished devouring today again uh, when I should have been doing work. And uh, it's that game is really cool. And I, I'm interested to see it at uh, at play. Someone's barking at somebody out there. No, they're just saying hi to each other. Um, the thing that um, that's interesting about that, which I'm, I actually think you might be interested in, is how they do the, uh, what do you call it, the contested uh, combat in that. Uh, combat is, uh, armor doesn't make you harder to hit. Um, armor makes it so that uh, you take less damage, but doesn't necessarily take away all your damage. And there's defending options as well too, but like they've got a much more similar to what uh, Trudvang has, where there's that like um, attrition that like you damage your your gear as it's being used. 
it's got that in there too, but it, it plays a lot faster. Um, they, uh, there's also, um, uh, like stamina plays into how combat plays out as well. And there's a luck mechanic, but it's a very limited sort of narrative meta currency. Um, it just seems really cool. And like the way that, um, the dice results, you, the, the effect of your combat, how, how effective you were relies on the comparison, of the two, uh, combatants. So like a half-assed swordsman is going to kick the bejesus out of a chump, you know, um, farmer say, because, and not because they've got more hit points or whatnot, because they are more likely to trigger a critical hit, which is going to impose critical effects on their, on your character. Right. And defenses are contingent or rather the, the back and forth of, of combat is contingent on a, on a defense component too. And it models multiple combatants really well because you chew through stamina if you're having to defend against more things. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to make multiple attacks, you can also you know chew through your stamina that way. Or if you want to attack faster, you chew through stamina that way. So there's a cool sort of like uh, resource management sort of decision that's not overburdening that's going on in that combat system. So I'm really interested in seeing that one at the table. And then you also mix in that magic is pretty cool in that um, that. You know, the witchers are pretty cool in that. And there's this whole other thing that's going on. Like they've given really good thought into how all the different parts work together. So like healers have a ton of things to do without making the game like Warhammer Fantasy, right? Where you're just like, all right, you're going to lose your leg for gangrene or whatever, you know? Like there's um, ways of like, okay, you've treated the wound or you've, you've uh, stabilized the wound. So now this is you your original penalties from your critical hit. Now it's stabilized, but until you get treated, it's not, it's still going to be there. And then once you're treated, the penalties are less than those other two stages, but it's not completely gone. So there's interesting decisions that the healer types get to make along the way too. And then of course, if you have access to other things, right? Like, you know, this is the, there, it is conceivable for the characters to be like, so this character is really messed up. He's probably going to die. Go get me my Lembus right? Or whatever it was, Athalas. Yeah. Because you can spend time in, and uh, it just, it's a, I, I like it where there's all those decisions, but they're not necessarily, it's not as structured as it is in some other games where like, like say uh, one ring, one ring where you're like, now you're in this thing and this is going to be structured in this time or Pathfinder second for that matter too. So I'm excited about that one. It just, it, I, I'd heard combat was really deadly in that. And then I sort of read it through and, and banged out a character and, and uh, did some combat. I'm like, Oh, this is not, no, no, no. Like if you're dumb, then yeah, your, your character's going to die. If you play them stupidly, but if you play the characters, like the way that you would intuitively have your front, your, your, you know, man at arms up and fighting, have your witcher up and fighting, keep your, your doctor and your mage or whatever in, in the back, mm. you know, if that's what you're going to do. But, um, it also, I mean, it's also a dark fantasy game and like, I love that stuff. So, so I think those, yeah, those are the ones that are particularly on my mind right now. How about you? What other ones said? Uh, well, I was going to, so I have a, a sort of second, second stage of the question, mm. which is beyond ones that are on your mind right now on, on the bedside table, all that sort of stuff. Yep. One or a couple of games that are sort of always with you, I suppose, for lack of a better term. Something that is a, yeah. a, a a special part of your role-playing history. So this is not necessarily something that is... Um, no, I think, yeah, it probably is. How many times 
have I brought up GURPS to you without ever running it, right? Like with running it one time. Yep. Um, GURPS casts a very, very long shadow over a lot of my gaming exp you know, experience and what and the things I expect from it because I think it does, um, it offers at, at one sort of configuration, it offers the most simulationist sort of approach and uh, to or experience in almost any other role-playing game. Uh, things like um, the, you know, how you exhaust yourself from hiking, how you take damage in particular, the combat system feels exceptionally uh, simulationist in the sense that, you know, um, the way that your character would respond to getting stabbed with a knife in that game, intuitively, how you feel like, oh God, if I was stabbed, how I'd react, mm -hmm. the game mechanics model that beautifully. You know, and uh, similarly, like that helps you inform, like if my character is stronger, if I've got a strength of 14 as opposed to a strength of 10, my character is going to do substantially more damage and the game will model that stuff in a, in a really uh, intuitive and fast running way that that works very well together. And that becomes the sort of when I think of some of these other games that try to, you know, claim that they're like, like oh, we're really grim and gritty and blah, blah, blah. I, I just, I can't help but thinking that like, well, you know what? I think that GURPS would do it better. I could do this better with GURPS and, and the experience I'd get with that. So that definitely continues to have a uh, cast a, a Paul, even though I don't run the game very often. Um, and character creation in that as well, too, is is one of those things that just, uh, um, because it was a game that I ran for quite a while and, and, and theory crafted with, you know, in the same way that some people have a relationship with Pathfinder because of their, they, they were at a point in their life where they, had a, they didn't have a lot of time to play, but they also made a lot of characters. When I was most into GURPS, I wasn't running games that much. I was I was reading and thinking about games that much. And uh, GURPS, like the hero system, is a theory crafter's wonderland. You know, especially if you're a DM who wants to run stuff in a bunch of different settings, like you can create some amazing stuff. And they've, from very early on, they uh, uh, created a... Um, or had a good uh, uh, computer program for making characters. So it's very easy to bang out characters, easy as early as like 2000, you know? Um, and the, I guess champions as well, too. You'd probably put in that one, too. Champions cast a pretty... How many times do I keep talking about wanting to go back to champions? And then when I run it, I'm like, oh, this is so crunchy. Holy smokes. But I, it doesn't stop me from thinking. I was thinking about it earlier this week, you know? I didn't pull it off the shelf, but I was thinking about it. Yeah. Call of Cthulhu is another one of those ones too. I played um, a lot of, I played more Call of Cthulhu in high school than I ever did D&D, uh, &D, you know, and it just, um, it's a game that every time I run it, I have a, a total blast. It just, uh, I think the system is is really solid. And in, in particular, the seventh edition has got some really cool innovations in it with uh, advantage and disadvantage and uh, uh, the, the degrees of success. Um, and it's just, it, is very clear in purpose of what you're doing with that game. And I didn't realize uh, for a long time, I, I had said that, well, if I'm going to run a Cthulhu type thing, I'd probably run Delta green instead. And I only recently sort of realized when I was, I played uh, Arkham horror with my son, the, the card game, and we had a lot of fun with it too. And the, um, it's not just that it's a different game. It, the, the part of Cthulhu that I think really, or call it Cthulhu really appeals to me it, and not to take anything away from Delta Green, but the thing that appeals is that it is a period piece. Mm -hmm. You know, playing with the um, playing the these idea that these characters who are of another era, you know, a hundred years ago now, uh, as of uh, this year, right? 
Um, so a hundred years in the past and playing these characters who are just like in careers or professions that just are not existent anymore or have a out dramatically outweigh. Can you imagine being a roving reporter? You know, I like, and, and like the idea that, that every newspaper has some roving reporters in the twenties, like that's just not a fucking thing anymore. You know, um, someone who's not independently wealthy becoming a essayist, like that's just not going to happen in, in the day and age. So I really, um, uh, you know, I, I, that game also continues to cast a, a Paul, not a Paul, but like the, the, the combined idea of how you structure mystery and how you unveil that and how you can use atmosphere to make for a good session not just a horror game but like anything that that helps you situate call of cthulhu i think definitely uh uh encourages that better than than almost any other game of or and, and has from the earliest edition of like the where you're situating your adventure it should be as much of a character as what you know your individual characters are and your npcs are and stuff like that yeah that's a that's a quality list of games <laughs> to have floating around all right so um well i'll put it to you would you prefer to talk about your channel and kind of its history and where it's going or about your drawing an hour every day uh and other hobbies not related to role playing i'll talk about either or both i'm not fussed okay <laughs> yeah um well let's do let's let's do channel stuff um okay was there like a, I guess what I'm wondering is kind of why, why start um, the dungeon using YouTube channel that has now grown into something much bigger and much, I'm sure beyond what, obviously beyond what it started as. Um, but why, what was it that um, set it off? Um, well, I mean, I don't, uh, to be honest, I don't know why. I think that's at the time, we had transitioned into into playing online anyway. And I just thought like, well, you know, it'd be fun to, I had watched a couple other people do it. And so the way that I, I ended up uh, going to law school was working at a law firm uh, in a support uh, staff way and just saying like, oh, I could do that, you know? And that's what uh, what led to me uh, going to law, you know, I sat in law school and, and where I, I, I am in my day job now. Similarly, watching other people do it and be like, I could do that. Um, and it's there's there's been shifting reasons for why we why I've you know carried on with it and whatnot but honestly the the f it's a labor of love like I just I I adore um running it I I love role-playing games I absolutely love running role-playing games so in the same way that you know the um one of the ways that I know that I'm not uh, like say uh when I was a kid I used to write a little bit uh but then I quickly I just didn't stick with it same similarly with with uh, drawing as well too to prelude to the next question uh but i never really did it it wasn't something that I, I i didn't have a burning need to do that but what i've always done all my life is run read and run role-playing games it's just something that i just you know i uh, i um i i don't understand uh, or i don't share and recognize myself the way that some people say oh i have to write you know if you're not a the, the saying that a lot of uh, authors have had attributed to them about like if you can do anything else other than write do that but if you have to write then do that um I, I don't have to only run role-playing games, but I'd run role-playing games if I was doing it for, you know, just two buddies in an apartment or whatever. Like it just, uh, I, I absolutely love running games. I love the experience and the communal, uh, you know, experience of that and extending that to an audience as well too has proven to be just a shit ton of fun. And um, 
I was reluctant to uh, set up our Discord server uh, that we have for the channel as well, too, just because I, I, I don't know, I, I had seen things like uh, seeing communities on, uh, say, G Plus. I really didn't like what was it. It didn't wasn't for me and whatnot, too. But I'm so grateful I did now uh, because just like I've got a chance to meet so many other cool people and have neat ideas exchanged and like and see other people have different things like the 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 way that there has been this community that hasn't necessarily built up around the, the channel, although some of that's maybe true, but also like how it's integrated with other communities has been just fucking awesome. You know, like the, the, the line of dialogue that's been going back and forth in a lot of the um, podcasts lately about uh, something that happened in one of my games was really cool. You know, uh, that was really, really cool to see. And it's cool to see people like you and, and Hobbs getting together to, to work on games. So that has also become something I've, I've now recognized. That's something I value about that uh, experience. So like, like in a lot of the other things, it just kind of felt right to do that. And if it wasn't fun or wasn't, I wasn't enjoying myself, I wouldn't do it anymore. You know, um, and when campaigns have not proven to be either fun or I don't think they're working or whatnot, I'll pull the pin on them and do something different, which is one big change from, you know, from uh, or big difference from the way that most other channels do it. Right. Like most other channels will see things through to the end of if uh, and then they'll go on to do something different or they'll structure the game in a way that it only plays a certain amount of times and then they'll be done with it. And that's cool that they can do that. And that's amazing. And, and there, I know there's groups that do that as well, too. Um, that's not me. I don't have, that's not how I'm built as a DM or as a person. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, just all the different foibles and, and, you know, good sessions and bad sessions and whatnot that we end up going through. It, it's all just, uh, I I'm having so much fun doing all of that stuff. And then we're also getting a chance to raise some money for, uh, the charity. And we're also now because of the other revenue streams we've got, we've got a way of thanking the players, right? Cause we don't put, we don't pay anyone to, to play with us. So it's nice that if we are able to generate that that sort of passive income from something I'd be doing for free anyway, we can then just feed that back to the players as a way of saying thank you for it. So um, that I know one of the questions you're going to have is where do I see it going? That's kind of not the way I operate. So yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, we take it as it goes, you know, like, I mean, I know what I'm doing right now. I'm enjoying, I got some ideas for games I want to do, but um, I am not, I'm not viewing the channel as a business. You know, so I think because I'm not viewing it as a business, I don't feel the justification to figure out what will, um, you know, what would make for better income generation or whatever, you know, or uh, I, before I did this, I uh, published a comic uh, with some friends. So it's me and some buddies and I financed the, the thing and we, I wrote it. I did, I drew one of the four stories and then I had about six other friends who all worked in it too. Uh, one of the most labor intensive things I've ever done, uh, particularly because I was working full time during the time too. So it was just, it was a hundred page comic and it was just crazy amount of work. And the money I didn't really care about, but the thing is, is that so there, I have found that there's no faster way to strip the fun out of something than get and pay for it. You know, and when you, um, when you have to do something because you've got money vested in it, that, that to me, um, was the, the thing that killed the joy in, in doing that, um, and having gone through that experience, I'm in a fortunate enough ex position where I don't need to be, I have a, a comfortable living from, from my day job. So I don't need, I don't need it as a source of income. Um, so it allows me to just treat it as its own thing, you know, uh, and, uh, uh, as the sort of, you know, um, the, 
I don't know, experimental, you know, <laughs> gaming endeavor that it is. And that, that's what I want to keep doing with it is just see, kind of see where it goes. And I imagine if you had told me that we'd be shifting down to only really wanting two games, I would have said, that's crazy. I love playing different games, but you know, then the pandemic happens. So yeah. 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 But, uh, all right. So, um, winding down now, second to last question. Um, you do your hour of drawing every day thing. Yep. Um, and you've done that for years now, right? Yeah. Like s uh, seven years, I think now. Yeah. So, um, how, how did that get started? And uh -huh. the big question, do you ever miss a day? Um, I have only missed days when I have had food poisoning where I was so sick that I was throwing up for about 20 hours during the day. Uh, and when I moved, I, uh, I, I lost a day and lost the ability to do it too. Uh, when I, yeah, I've even like when I've driven back to my hometown and I spent 14 hours on the road and whatnot, uh, I still will get that done. Um, and, um, yeah, so I haven't done it. I mean, why I just, you know, one of the things that I knew that if, um, if I don't make time for things this is part of the reason why, you know, uh, why it's, it's, I'm able to, to run the amount of games I do is because I've had that precedent of setting a commitment for myself that there's always every day, you know, hell or high water, however busy I am, there's an hour when I'm doing this, whether I'm in town, when I'm out of town for work, whether I've got a busy day at work, whatever else, whatever's going on, one hour is, is done that. That means that there's other things I'm not doing. So like, you know, getting regular workout regimens in are, are more difficult because that's more flexible. Um, uh, time for other things as well, too, just becomes more, um, you know, it's time you're doing that when you're not doing other things. But I just, uh, it has become part of my regular life now where just every, you know, uh, every day I, I know, and usually I do it in the evening. Um, but if I got a big day, I might do it during the afternoon. I might do it in the morning, you know? Um, and sometimes it's more than an hour, but I just, I like the idea of, you know, when I, uh, reach my, uh, you know, when I shuffle off as mortal coil, be able to look back and say like, this is the amount of time I spent doing a thing that I did strictly because I love it, you know? Um, and the, uh, the idea that you only, you know, it, it, there are days where I just, it's shit that I produce, you know, for it, where I just, I'm doing it because I'm, I'm obliged to do the, the hour of drawing and it's, it's a terrible work and I, I hate everything I draw. But there's days where I'll, you know, I'll spend six hours drawing, uh, because I just, I'm, I'm caught up in whatever I'm doing, or it's a, a, a deadline piece that I've got for one of our games or for some other reason or, or whatever, um, or just something I'm enjoying working on you know, that, that sort of comes with the territory and I try and balance, you know, things that I are practical with things that'll push my skills and, and whatnot. But I mean, that also has changed over time too. You know, there's times where I've had, uh, all my time has been spent working on figure work and I've had times where I've been working on painting, uh, you know, and times where I've been working on say like our portraits for our thing and allowing myself the flexibility of, of doing different things and not trying to make it something uh, that it's not, you know, uh, I'm not trying to make it something where I'm completing a certain number of, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to improve, say like my, my drawing perspective, or I'm trying to improve my figure work all the time, uh, that stuff or setting myself other goals, like drawing a panel a day or something like that. Um, I like the flexibility of doing different things, you know, and, uh, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. It became, it's at this point, it's just something that I, I have been doing for so long now that it's part of my daily routine. So, yeah. 
and that's that's really cool. Um, and you can't see, but the the viewers at home can see. I pulled up the the Redbubble store website because that seems like the best way to show off a bunch of the oh, the yeah, art, um, which is part of the things that you can win for our yes. um, charity raffle. You can win uh, uh, a Droon Axe Brother uh, shower curtain mm -hmm. if you wanted for whatever <laughs> reason. <laughs> Or a, a, a hoodie with uh, hair and shirt on it or something like that. There's some, some great art on here, and I figured I would show that off as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's um, been fun, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's cool to be able to do stuff like that. Like, you know, um, having... Uh, I, like, I've done gifts before. I did a, a painting of uh, the car that my dad drove uh, when he met my mom. You know, so I did this, this detailed... I can't remember what it was, 65 uh challenger but anyway it was you know i just i knew that that would be a fun fun little gift so in a similar way doing like say the portraits of your characters like that that was a lot of fun to be able to have a unified like all right this is what my vision of what your characters are yeah uh and having the maps right like the maps so i've been a, a real um it's a nice asset and then for um before we this is before we were doing the uh advertising on the channel or the set up the patreon but that was a nice way to sort of say thank you is is to get copies of the maps for some of the players right and just say like here you go here's a poster of the place you guys have been tearing apart you know uh although in the, the tule map it's like a tiny little <laughs> square that you guys have yeah. been in. well even on nudes map we've only gotten a, a small section of that and that's only a yeah. small section of the full tule <laughs> map so yes. <laughs> yeah oh geez anyway all right um interview's gone on for a while seems like we ought to wrap up with one final question sure big picture what do you want people to take away from this interview and sort of more generally what what do you want people to take away from kind of what you do with with the channel with the community all of that sort of stuff so the things that um my favorite feedback that i've ever got on on anything there's well it's two things two kinds of feedback that we get from our actual plays and from my overviews i very i don't i really don't do a lot of overviews or reviews in the channel but when i do them they end up being like two and a half hours long so they're fairly i really like to take a dig, dig um a deep dive into whatever we're whatever game i'm talking about and try and give as fair an overview of the game uh from my perspective that i can offer uh, as possible favorite feedback on our actual plays is when it is people going to play those games too. You know, uh, like if someone says, this looks like so much fun, I can't wait to have that much fun with my friends. That's the only, that's the thing I love taking away from, you know, board view or board game uh, reviews or, or the actual plays that I'll watch when I first want to see whether I'm interested in picking up a game. You know, um, that's the stuff that I absolutely love. Um, the second thing is so for the overviews is, uh, the, the, my favorite feedback has been the fairness, you know, like I really, really, really try to give an objective, um, perspective that makes it clear where my subjective biases lie, you know, or like, this is the things I value. This is the things I look for in my games. So this is what I think about blah, 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 but you might not think that way. Or if it's something that is more topic focused, this is how I do things. This is why I do things, but you don't have to do it that way. There's all sorts of other ways, you know, whatever's right for your table is right for you. We have so many voices right now on in the community that really try to um, adopt this very aggressive authorial tone 
with how things should be done. And I just, it is exhausting because it's not a conversation. It is dictates. And I enjoy, one of the things I enjoy with the community that we've got is it seems like it's mostly, it's more so DMs than it is players, to be honest, um, which is a smaller pool, I guess, but I don't care that they're, it's a, that's where I, you know, my perspective comes from a DMs perspective. And the more people who, the, the people we've interacted with that, uh, from that pool are always, not always, but I love how fair-minded everyone is, you know, or seems to be. I mean, they may very well be sons of bitches behind the scenes or, or, in, or in other aspects of their life. But with respect to the games, though, like no one brings that overly like this is bullshit or this is garbage or whatever. It's like these are the reasons why I don't like X, Y, Z. You know, it's it's rare that we're coming in saying this is really garbage or this is how things should be, you know. Um, and also, I mean, like every DM is going to no DM plays in a game and doesn't come away thinking I would have done that differently. Everyone does that. You know, every single person is like, I wouldn't have done it that way, but and I like that everyone respects each other's um, each other's decisions of how they're running the game. Right. Assuming that it's a decision that people have made. It's not a mistake they've made. Right. Cause we never have uh, like, you've run a bunch of stuff for a bunch of us on the channel as well too. We never have people who are like rule second guessing or being like, this was stupid. You know, why did you do that? Yeah. Um, it's all people who are supportive of like, yep, that's, I'm assuming you know what you're doing. So, uh, you, uh, what do you call it? You made that decision for this and that's cool. I may do something differently, but that is totally fine. You know, and I, I, I enjoy that a great deal. So those are the two things that I think if, if people interact with the, uh, the Dungeon Musings channel and they, I, I'm hoping that they come away with that, uh, you know, either getting an excuse to get whatever games we're, we're running, you know, out and, and run them with their friends or the family again, or alternatively just thinking about things in, and I don't want to say critical because that unfortunately like the douchebag, uh, sort of like, you know, logical thinkers of, of, uh, the internet have, have thought of that, you know, but genuinely like just like uh, the people who have a more reasoned in the sense of like not freaking out about shit, just a like a, a more chill, like, okay, this is for some people, you know, some people like soy sauce, some people don't like soy sauce. That's cool. You know, kind of uh, approach. And, and uh, that's what I would hope that, uh, you know, we, we add to in uh, whatever small way we can to the, to the community, the idea that, there are, you know, um, you need to find what's right for your table, full stop. That's the only real thing. That's the measure of, of uh, success of your game or the, the rightness or wrongness of the decisions that you've made. Yeah. So I think that's it. Yeah. No, what was the other part great. of the question? Too? I can't remember. There was one. Oh, and then the other thing I take away from this interview is that from now until September 1st, 2020, <laughs> you can, for every $25 uh, Canadian that you donate to the Heroes Save Villages campaign, you get a chance to win one of those amazing prizes that Arlen set out at the outset, including the grand prize of the gold edition of the Eberron Rising from the Last War box set donated by our very good friends at uh, Beetle and Grimm, who have been very, very generous with their support of uh, the Heroes Save Villages initiative. Um, and yeah. That is it. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. All right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's everything. Um, if you want to get a hold of Kevin, you can do so at, like I said, all the different Dungeon Musings things, the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel and the Discord server and the Twitter handle and all of that sort of stuff. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, um, I think I'm going to put this on, on Anchor as audio and on YouTube as video. So... 
whichever platform you're on, leave a comment or leave a voice message or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was really good. Thanks for um, sitting down and doing this, Kevin. Um, no, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's it was fun. It's it's good to to talk about <laughs> gaming for a little while, and uh, yeah, I think it was good. Um, all right, so um, I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Palms Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody. All right, so. That was the episode, the interview. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed. Um, I know on Anchor it's going to be one big chunk, so um, I hope that that is not a huge issue for anybody listening. Um, obviously a very long episode, but um, Kevin and I had a lot of fun recording it, and I felt like that um, came across pretty well um generally you know seems like uh, it comes across that we're we're having fun and just hanging out and all that sort of stuff um and i hope it was i hope it was in enjoyable and perhaps educational um kevin you know is a really smart guy and um runs games all the time and knows his shit about gaming so um it's uh, it was really fun to get to interview him, and perhaps I will even get to do so again sometime. Um, but yeah, it was uh, good stuff. So I hope that you enjoyed. Um, I hope that this inspires you towards um, the Heroes Save Villages charity campaign. And um, if not, that is fine too. That's totally understandable, especially during the the current crisis, the the plague time. Um, but yeah, I um, if you want to get in contact with me, I am uh, here on Anchor, Anchor.fm/PelhamsWasteland, and you can leave a voice message that I will play on the show. Um, I'm also going to put this out on Twitter, Twitter. Uh, at cows from Powis, which is uh, that's my Twitter handle, and um, so yeah. Um, if you want to get in contact with me, I'm also on Discord. Um, I'm on a bunch of different Discords, and I'm going to share this on a couple different Discords. And um, yeah, it'll be it'll be good. So I hope you like. I, like I said, I hope you enjoyed. Um, I, I can't stress enough. Big thanks to Kevin for doing the interview. Um, it was, you know, about two hours of time that uh, he wasted with me. So um, that that is uh, awfully nice of him, awfully generous of him with his time, um, since he's a pretty busy guy, as you may well be aware, based on what we talked about in the interview. So um, with all that being said, I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.